The best things come to those who wait. Yeah. Yeah. Time to go get it. I said I'm so New York, we probably don't like me. I'm so New York, we probably don't like me. I'm so New York, we probably don't like me. La 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 For my city, if it's for my city, you gotta go to LA if you're looking for Diddy. You gotta check DC. Welcome to episode 30 of the Bucket Drop Podcast with my guest today, Dominic Mazzella. This is part two because uh, we spoke a couple weeks ago and uh, that was episode 29. If you haven't listened to it, uh, we were talking some Mark Howe stories, which uh, obviously led to some Gordy Howe stories as well. But uh, this episode is going to be more geared towards the hockey fan and you, uh, Dominic. Obviously, you told me that you uh, grew up in Staten Island, but you were born in Brooklyn. I want to hear about the uh, the family business and uh, the pizza tradition. I was born in Brooklyn in 1966. We moved to Staten Island only like three years later. And my dad... Always worked in, like, the restaurant business since he came to America. Came to America in, like, 1957. Came illegally. He jumped ship and uh, actually went to my mother's sister's house. He didn't know my mom because she was older than her. And uh, he got off the boat in Baltimore, called her up, somehow managed to go to Brooklyn with $7 in his pocket. And um, my aunt put him up, and then he started dating my mother and... Eventually, they got married and all that, which is kind of cool. He had a place in Brooklyn, and then he got rid of the place in Brooklyn. We moved to Staten Island and worked as a longshoreman and, you know, on the on the docks and stuff like that, but wanted to get back into the pizzeria business. So uh, started looking for a pizzeria and uh, actually told my mom, and she wasn't too keen on the idea, you know, and she said something to the effect of, uh, you know, if, if you're going to do something, it better be something really good. So he, uh, he he found a place in Staten Island. They opened it up and called it Nancy's Pizzeria and Restaurant. That was my mom's name. And uh, that was in the early 70s. And that's how I got my start in, in the pizza business, um, working there as a kid and after school and weekends. And, you know, I was the kid that, that, that always had money in his pocket because I always worked because I couldn't go out and spend it because I was always working. <laughs> How old were you when you started working there? Well, I was about five years old. I used to clean tables. Nice. Uh, well, I say I clean tables. My mom was the waitress there. She would do the tables, and I would take the tips. <laughs> you know, I did little by little, started washing dishes, and then when I was about seven or eight years old, my dad started teaching me how to make pizza a little bit, and started making pizza full-time when I was about 12 or 13, you know? It's funny, because I never wanted to do it, because I, I knew how hard the business was, and you're basically married to it. I mean, it's just it's a five or six day a week job, and it's you know twelve, fifteen hours a day, and it's hard. And I and I saw it used to beat my dad up so bad, but it was a great living, you know. And my dad said, "Look, I don't want you to do this. I want you to go to school and become a doctor or a lawyer or do something like that." Uh, he goes, "But I want you to learn this. God forbid something ever happens, you have something to fall back on." So uh, I did that until I was about. 22 years old, I would say. Uh, unfortunately, my mom passed away when I was 18. Uh, we kept the store for a few more years. And uh, when I was about 22, my dad retired. And I actually went to work on Wall Street. I worked on the stock exchange floor for about a year and a half. Um, Interesting, huh? Yeah, some people might say I caused the crash, but I don't know. I didn't cause it. <laughs> but I was there when it happened, which was really scary. Uh, yeah. 
And then I bounced around from job to job after that. And I went to my dad and I said, you know, I can't find my niche. I, I, I was a union carpenter. I didn't like that. I, I said, I want to go back in the pizza business. And he said, well, he says, let's do something. I'll make you a deal. Go work for somebody for like a year or two. If you still like it, I'll, I'll lend you the money and you open up a store. So uh, I worked for a guy in Staten Island, a place called Basili's Pizza and Restaurant. I worked there for two years. And uh, so my dad, you know what? I, this is what I want to do. And uh, he's like, okay. And we looked for a place and looked for a place and we looked for like a year. And everywhere from Philadelphia to Virginia to Pennsylvania to New York, all over the place. And we found a place down the shore. Uh, and we opened up this big restaurant. And we had it for about a year. And I guess it was maybe the third or fourth day I was open, this girl comes into the restaurant. And she comes in to say hello to her friend who I had hired. And she's like, hi. I'm like, hey, how you doing? She's good. She goes, my name is Colleen. I'm like, how you doing, Colleen? And we started talking. Funny thing was uh, she ordered an eggplant palm sandwich and she never paid for it, which I always tell her because I wound up marrying her. But anyway, <laughs> she's a little younger than me, and uh, we started dating and everything. And that whole summer, I mean, that whole winter, she worked for me. And then the summer, she used to work at this, this restaurant on Long Beach Island. And I said, well, you're not going back there, right? I mean, you're going out with me. You, you can't work at the Clam Bar, this place that she was working. She goes, uh, if you own the restaurant on Long Beach Island, then I would work there, but I have to go back there. So, of course, you know, sometimes we don't think with the right head. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I just said, oh, okay. And one thing led to another, and I found a place on Long Beach Island, and I, I basically said, guess what? I found a place on Long Beach Island. You have to work here now. <laughs> That's and, a great story. Uh, oh, yeah. Open that up. We, we, we sold the other place, and... I've had this place now slice ahead of for over 25 years. Well, this is the 25th year, actually. That's how I got into it. It's the same thing with my son. My son's going to be 13, and I started last year with him teaching him for the last two years how to make pizza. I don't want him to work in the pizzeria because, like I said, it's a hard job. It, it is. I'm not saying it's any harder than anybody else's, but it is a hard job. So, But I just told him, like my dad told me, it's just something that you can fall back on. You know, maybe when if if you go to college and you you know you need to make a few extra bucks, or you know when you get older you need to get a second job. It's people always hire pizza men, so it's always a it's a good job to learn. So that's why I'm trying to teach him now as as we go along. The last podcast you were talking about the secret to a good pizza, which is the New York water. As it's actually believe it or not, and it doesn't make sense. It's Brooklyn water. Which... Brooklyn water. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the right. Brooklyn water is the same water from Staten Island. It's the same water from Manhattan. But I don't know why Brooklyn water tastes so much better. And and hopefully you'll come down here one day and I'll I'll show it to you. It's, it's yeah. I mean, you never think, geez, water's water. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But it's I'd rather have a glass of water than a cold beer from New York. I mean, it sounds crazy, but water is in Brooklyn is just ridiculous, and it just makes everything taste so much better. When you were talking about Staten Island, is that where uh, you started getting interested in hockey? Because obviously you were a fan of hockey even before you met Mark Howe, which is not so common in the United States, especially where you're living. You know, you got the, the Yankees, you, so many teams that you could cheer for, the Knicks and whatever else. Yeah. When I was a kid, I mean, when I was like five, six, seven years old, it sucks because nobody in the fucking States knows anything about hockey. 
and I don't know why. I I, I guess my my family liked it, and my cousins liked it, and I started getting into it. And they were New York fans, so they were Ranger fans, and and I remember vividly one of the first games I ever listened to because you were lucky if you got 20 games a year back then on TV. Basically, everything was on the radio. It was a game, I think, in 1975, so I was about, I don't know, eight or nine years old, whatever, and the Rangers were playing the Islanders, and uh, it was in the playoffs, and the Rangers came back and tied them up, and the Islanders won 11 seconds into overtime, and that was like my first taste of being pissed off I guess you would say you know yeah but it just it just got me and I couldn't wait for hockey season to start after that I just got enthralled with it and uh and it grew from there uh, um I guess it was that summer or that that next following season actually so that winter my parents and me used to go to a restaurant in Staten Island this, this place uh, friends of my family we used to go there to eat every once in a while as a treat and, and one of the kids that worked there was a dishwasher, and he was older than me. And, you know, when you're a little kid, you look up to older people, you know. I went in the back, and I was talking to him, and he was washing his dishes. And this guy, Pete, he was listening to the radio, and he heard the score, and, and he heard the Buffalo Sabres won. He was like, yeah, he's all happy. I was like, oh, how cool. Pete likes hockey, and we would talk with hockey about, you know, hockey after that. And he likes Buffalo. Now, I like I said, I... I looked up to Pete, so I was like, okay, I'm going to like Buffalo, too. That's going to be my second favorite team. And I was a huge Buffalo fan, the whole French connection and, you know, Gilbert uh, Perot, Renny Martin, Rick, uh, um, Renny Robert, Rick Martin. I mean, I love them guys, you know. And for a few years, I followed them. And, and it was actually Buffalo played the Rangers in the playoffs one year in 78, I think it was, and I was torn on who to root for. But I always rooted for the Rangers in the end. And a couple of years after that, I saw Pete again. I guess this was like sometime in the ages. And I said, you know, Buffalo keeps doing good every year, but they, they never go to the cup. You know, they went to the cup once. He goes, Buffalo? What do I give a shit about Buffalo? So what are you talking about? That was your favorite fucking team. Buffalo's favorite. I said, I, you know, I told him the whole story about when I was a kid. And he started laughing. He said, dumb. He goes, probably I had a bet on the Buffalo Sabres that game. And you walked in and I said, yeah, Buffalo won. So that's why I rooted for Buffalo because I thought he did. But he rooted for them because he bet on them. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. I've been uh, yeah. I've been, I've been guilty of betting against my own team a couple times too, which I'm not very proud of. But, uh, you know, whatever makes the game a bit more interesting sometimes. <laughs> you know what? I think just once in my whole life. And, yeah. Uh, and I bet against them once, and uh, they were playing Colorado, and Colorado was really good at the time, and the Rangers sucked. It's the only time I ever bet against them, and they got smoked six nothing. You know why I do it? I do it because if they lose, it's kind of like a win-win, right? Like I'm sad that they lost, but at least I won some money. You won some money, yeah. That don't work with me. Something always gets fucked up when I do. It. <laughs> and so anyway, so I. I as a kid, I always got into hockey, and then I would levitate towards people that like hockey because there wasn't many people that did, you know? So uh, the kid that was a year older than me, uh, I went to um, a Catholic grammar school. In about sixth or seventh grade, uh, one day this kid came in, and he had a Ranger bag. I was like, oh, you like the Rangers? He's like, yeah, I love the Rangers. But I go to a lot of games with my dad. I love going. I said, I would love to go with you one day. So one day he invited me to the game, and, and we sat like eight rows off the ice, dead center. 
and it was the red section. They were called the red seats of the garden, like the best seats that you could get. His dad worked for a furrier company, was loaded, and used to scalp tickets to every game, $150 a ticket. Now, you're talking, this was over 40 years ago. I mean, think about that. It's like a, over 1000 bucks a ticket now, probably more. So I used to go to games with him, and that was great. But uh, I, the first game I ever went to, my cousin Butch took me in 1977. We went there. I said, wow, Butch, this is great. Where'd you get tickets? He said, I didn't. I said, what do you mean you didn't get tickets? He says, don't worry about it. He goes, here's what you're going to do. Just follow what I do. Put five dollars in your hand and shake the guy's hand when I tell you. So we went to the Ranger game. We walked in. We went up to the usher. Butch shook his hand. I shook his hand, gave him five bucks, and they let us in. And that's how I saw my first Ranger game, my first hockey game. That's amazing. You know you know what's funny, Donna, is my, uh, my father actually – I'd have to ask him again, but he he got in the same way as you just mentioned. I don't know if it was with uh, shaking the hand uh, with money, or I don't know if he just snuck through the back door, but he got to see uh, the Stanley Cup in Montreal during the 70s, so times have changed. I wish I could say that. You don't even want to know. Like in in 94, when the Rangers went to the Cup, I went to Game 5, which they lost. They went to Game 5, and they had a chance of winning. And the ticket cost me six hundred dollars for one seat, and I was all the way in the nosebleeds, the old bean section of the garden. We're gonna get to that uh, a bit later on because uh, I know there's okay. a, I know there's a better ending to that story. But uh, yep. sticking to uh, like the seventies, you, you became a fan of uh, Nick Fotiu as well, right? Nick Fotiu, yeah, he's from Staten Island, the first New York guy ever to play for the Rangers, uh, and he was a fighter. I love fighters, you know, which most people do, but. I mean, Staten Island Nick, and, and you know what's great about Nick is is before every game, home or on the road, uh, after after warm-ups was done, he would throw pucks into the stands. And he would throw them to the last levels. I mean, you can't do it now. You get sued, obviously, you know. But that's what he always used to do. He used to wing pucks up, and, and everybody loved him. And he was the policeman for the Rangers. And like I said, being from Staten Island, he was – he was my idol. I couldn't, you know, him and Gordie Howe, those were my two favorite players ever. And it's unfortunate that he didn't play his whole career there, but uh, mm-hmm. he, was a, he was a Ranger twice. And uh, like I said, my favorite, favorite player. He, he was awesome. And you told me an amazing story about uh, how he tackled you at, at, the, at the after party. And he racked up quite the penalty minutes, I think, uh, in, the, in the 1300s you hear of some of the fighters you know when they're not doing so well uh, uh concussions have you heard of nick uh recently if he if he's doing well when i talk to mark i always ask him and mark bumps into him once in a while you know i haven't okay. seen nick in a couple of years but yeah he's doing good he does a lot of promotional stuff for the rangers you know uh he you know if you if you watch a lot of his fights he really didn't get hit much because he was a golden gloves boxer so he knew how to you know, I guess protect himself to take a shot, you know, and, and so I, I guess he got lucky in that aspect because you see some of these guys, I mean, like, you know, and some of them kill themselves, unfortunately, you know, yeah, or, yeah. you know, and they have short lives. I mean, Cordic and um, the boogeyman and, you know, it, it doesn't want to look at Nylon with, with, his, with his problems, you know, the, I mean, you're getting punched in the head, punched in the head. You know, it's like I, I just saw an interview with Ty Domi. And Domi says, I don't want to get checked. He goes, because I know I got hit so many times in the head, I know there's going to be something wrong. They're going to find something, but he doesn't want to know. I mean, yeah. you know, he's basically saying, what the hell could they do for me now? And it sucks. Mm-hmm. 
seems to have all his wits to him uh, because obviously I listen to him on Nespit and Chicklets lately, but uh, CTE is a pretty scary thing. One uh, anecdote that you were telling me about is uh, Eddie Jockerman. You were a big fan of him. Yeah, Eddie Jockerman, uh, first of all, again, Italian guy, okay? Uh, when his family moved here, they took the vow off the end of their last name like a lot of Italians did, but uh, I think it was Eddie Giacomino or something like that. Uh and he was like the Rangers, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Everybody chanted Eddie. I mean, he was our superstar in the, in the late 60s and, and the 70s. And uh, I guess it was 76, the Rangers got John Davidson and waved Eddie Jockerman. And, and the Red Wings picked him up. And it was in the middle of the season or the beginning of the season. And the, what you know, the first game that he plays with the Red Wings is against the Rangers in Madison Square Garden. And uh, I didn't watch the game. I've seen it afterwards because, uh, like I said, back then it really wasn't on TV. But, uh, you know, listening to it on the radio, it was amazing. I think it's the first time that a New York crowd chanted for the other team. I mean, when the Rangers scored, the people booed. When when the Red Wings scored, the, the, the people cheered. They were chanting, Eddie, Eddie. And there's like an iconic picture of them. At the blue line, when they're doing the national anthem, he has his head down and he's crying because he's yeah. so, you know, overrun with emotion. And um, got to meet him a couple of times. Really nice guy. Uh, but yeah, he, he, you know, that that left a mark on me too. I was like, wait a minute, you can't get rid of Eddie Jockerman. You know, uh, he's a Hall of Famer, and uh, you know, but that was the first taste of uh, of seeing that sports is a business, unfortunately. Yeah, obviously he's got to be beloved, right? He played uh, so many years in New York. You went to the 1994 uh, finals, uh, but they lost that game. But ultimately, you did end up uh, going and you saw Lord Stanley's Cup, right? Yeah, what what happened was when I went, I went to game five and, and I paid $600 for the ticket. Well, my brother paid $600 for the ticket. Uh, he actually bought me two tickets and I took my buddy who used to take me in the 80s with his dad so I took him with me and uh, I swore I would never go to another game after that after they lost I'm like screw this I spent so much money year after year going to games and and I'm not going no more this team keeps breaking my heart well when game seven came around I was like oh my god I gotta go I gotta go so I called my brother up and uh, he was making good money back then he was working on Wall Street and I said Anthony they said man any chance you could get me tickets, I, you know, I said, I'll pay you back. I, I just opened up the restaurant, so money wasn't falling in yet, you know? And he's like, yeah, whatever, don't worry about it. He goes, I'm going to get, I'm taking this girl, I'm going to get two tickets for me, and I'll get you two tickets. So the tickets were 1600 bucks each for that game seven. And like I said, you're talking 26 years ago. Uh, yeah, that's so it. That, that, yeah, but I'll tell you what, it was... It was unbelievable. It was it was crazy just being there. And I never forget, like a minute ago, it hit me like, wow, if they win, I have nothing else to complain about. And that's why there's that iconic picture. Somebody held up a, a banner and said, now I can die in peace, which is the truth. Yeah. But it, it was just even like when they won the cup and just partying that whole night in New York and People were jumping on you and girls hugging you and kissing you and people you didn't even know. And, you know, everybody was so happy and so ecstatic. And 
you know, it was like, wow, we just won the Stanley Cup. Something I never, ever thought I would ever see in my life. The Rangers winning the Stanley Cup. My brother went and he took a girl because he wanted to get laid. So I hope he did. Yeah, I, I went because <laughs> I wanted to. I, like I said, that was something I never, ever, ever thought I would see. And all the games I went to and all the times they broke my heart. and uh, Unbelievable. Great feeling. No, that's awesome, man. And, like, I wish that moment is coming soon for me, too, with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you, because you know more about the Rangers, like, the game that you went to, was that right after Mark Messi made the prediction that, that he was going to win? Mess, the, the series before that, in game, in game six, he made the prediction, and he scored a hat trick. Okay. And, and they won. And then in game seven, they won in double overtime. Mike Richter was awesome. Okay. And then... And then in that series against Vancouver, they actually had a three-to-one games lead. And then they lost the next two in typical Ranger fashion. And you got to know something. That Vancouver team had a lot of heart. But talent-wise, besides Pablo Bore and I guess like Trevor Linden, they weren't exactly the greatest team in the world. But the Rangers were, were staffed that year, and that's the Rangers. They make everything hard. You know, I, like I remember going to, in 1986, the Rangers played the Canadians. That was the year Patrick was. That was his rookie year. He stood on his head. Oh, Absolutely of course. Stood, he was just... Now, Montreal never should have won the Cup that year. I don't give a shit what anybody says. I mean, they had good players. They had Chelios and they had Juan. They had a bunch of good guys. But they shouldn't have won. They won because of him, you know? And, yeah. and, and the Rangers should have won that series and didn't, you know? And it's just that's just the heartbreak of being a Ranger fan. Every time you think... They're gonna win. They fuck up. I mean, even in game uh, game seven against the Devils to go to the Cup, they were winning one one nothing with seven seconds to go, and the Devils tied it up. I mean, yeah. that was like someone stuck a knife in you. You're like, oh my god, how could this how could this happen? And then to go to the Cup and be up three games to one, and you're like, oh, I'm going to game five. They're gonna win the Cup, and then they throw a clunker in, and then of course yeah. they go to Vancouver and they lose. Now all of a sudden it's do or die in game seven. You know, that's that's the story of being a Ranger fan. Obviously, in uh, 1994, I was uh, nine years old. My favorite player was Pavel Bure, although I played defense. Yeah. And I remember I was watching that game in my parents' uh, living room upstairs uh, at the house. And, uh, yeah, you were talking about crying uh, when Eddie Jockerman uh, got the standing O. But uh, I was definitely crying because he was my man. I, I, I love that guy. Speaking about Patrick Roy standing on his head, I watched a little documentary on that actually recently. You know, you got a lot of time with the COVID. I actually watched that Gordie Howe movie as well that you mentioned to me last time. One thing that I have got away with, not got away with, but got lucky with, is that the Islanders beat the the Penguins because uh, the players were saying we were definitely hoping for that matchup because uh, they could have faced off against the Penguins as well. Wow, and the Penguins were coming off a two straight cup. Yeah, so, they were loaded that team. I was listening to the the Islanders goalie, and he was saying, "Yeah, the Habs are just destined to win that cup." But I don't know, you know, like when you when you look at the history of things, you know, like matchups is uh, a big part of it as well. Yeah, but listen, they beat Wayne Gretzky. I mean, how much more better you want to do than that? When they won the cup in '93, they beat LA, didn't they? If you're asking me who I want to face, I don't want. I rather face Lemieux, even though Lemieux's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to ever face Gretzky. I mean. He's the greatest offensive player ever. I always say it. You know, Bobby Orr was the greatest defenseman ever. 
uh, Wayne Gretzky is the best offensive player ever, and Gordie Howe is the best player ever because Gordie could do everything. You know what yeah. I mean? He could fight, check, score, play defense. You know, he could do. Gretzky was just a scoring machine. He was just he was ridiculous. No, for sure. And uh, agree to disagree. I'm a Mario fan, but you know, <laughs> we'll leave that debate well, for another how time. Not be? <laughs> I feel no, but I feel you know what. It's unfortunate because Mario got shortchanged with getting cancer and getting exactly. hurt. And, and, you know, you'd look at it and you say, my God, what numbers could he have put up? It's the same thing with Bobby Orr. Yeah. And if you don't get hurt, what numbers does he put up? It sucks because, you know, it, it, but it says something for long, longevity. I mean, Gordy played all them years, Gretzky played all them years, and they avoided serious, serious injury. And then you get a guy like Mario, who was more talented than anybody, but couldn't stay out there, unfortunately. Maybe he just didn't have that tough guy to protect him, uh, like uh, McSorley and, and Semenko, you know, because I, another thing I was going to say about that Habs Cup, thank God for that illegal stick by McSorley. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was a ballsy call. That was, that was a, but that was a gutsy move because, you know, if you, you call that and, if, and if, if the stick is legal, you get the two-minute penalty. Exactly. Now, it could have blown up. It could have blown up. You know what? Somebody knew something there. That was inside info. It was definitely a, a, an act of desperation, and uh, I don't know if we're ever, we're ever going to get the true story on that. No, probably not. We were lucky enough to drink out of the Stanley Cup two times. Yeah. But but we uh, we talked a lot about the 1997 Stanley Cup, and obviously, uh, you know, with my situation, uh, uh, my wife was uh, ready to go into labor, so uh, we cut it short a little bit. Uh, we didn't really dive into uh, that second Stanley Cup in 2002 when the Wings won. Uh, we talked about the uh, washroom incident, of course, uh, but we kind of got cut cut for time, obviously. Can you tell me a bit more about the experience of uh, going to that game? Uh, it was incredible. It was it was in Detroit, you know, and it was it was. I mean, the whole the game was a blur. You know, I was just so happy they won. Um, but then, if you look uh, in the '97 Cup, I'm on TV at the end, ESPN's last shot. Uh, of the game. It's me, Mark, and Mike Knubel. And then in, in 2002, when they won, I didn't go on the ice. I stood on the bench. And uh, Nick Lidstrom won the con Smite, you know, as, yeah. as, a, as, a, as the best player to play us. And he skates over it, and he hands it to me. Not that he was handing it to me, so I can't take it, but he was putting it back on the bench, so he handed it to me, and I put it down. Which I was like, holy shit, I, I awesome. want to leave now. You know, yeah. I want to go, bye, thank you, I'll take care. Yeah. Uh, but obviously I couldn't do that. But, uh, yeah, and then, you know, it, going in the locker room afterwards was awesome. It was great. And, and you know, the best part of it was um, the day before, because I, I stood at Gordy's house the whole week, we went to a sporting goods store, and I bought a bunch of stuff, which Gordy got all for, like, face value. So I bought a jersey, an authentic jersey, cost me, like, 100 bucks when it should have cost me, like, 300 so I bought a couple of jerseys. I bought a Luke Robitaille jersey, and I bought a, a blank Red Wing jersey. And uh, Luke Robitaille was great. He was he was awesome. He, he signed yeah. my jersey. She signed my jersey with no problem. Sweetheart, you know, met his wife. Uh, very nice lady. Um, definitely, I find a definitely an rated player. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, the, like the next day, you know, we went back and the team took the team photos and, and stuff like that. So I had, you know, all my stuff and Robitaille signed my jersey. And, and my other jersey, I went around the room and I wanted to get 
you know, autographs. And, you know, a couple of guys signed and a couple of guys were like, like, I don't want to say blow me off, but, you know, listen, they, they just want a cup. The last thing they want to do is start signing shit, you know? And, of course. Uh, so, so Gordy comes over. He goes, what are you doing, big guy? I said, eh, I was trying to get some autographs, but, I, you know, these guys are busy. I, I don't want to bother them. He goes, what do you mean bother them? I said, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm being a pain in the ass like this. They're not too receptive. He goes, oh, yeah. So he takes the jersey, he takes my hand, he walks me over, and I'm not going to mention to who. I ain't throwing nobody under the bus. That's all right. But everybody signed with, with my jersey after that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Because it was Gordy getting the autograph. They're like, hey, blah, 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 signed the jersey for the kid. You know? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I got I got a great – that was a – that my my closest stick from – from 97 they're like my two big possessions uh prize possessions but uh yeah and then uh i mean it was great uh, the, the hanging out in that locker room and then with the team photos and stuff and uh you know it was just so cool be- and being around the guys and getting to hang out with like brett hull and, and at the time was his girlfriend he's, he's married and now she was so nice and he was so down to earth i was like you know you, you like I said, you look out, you look at these guys and they're superstars, and you don't you don't think they're normal people, but they are. You know, I started yeah. talking to Brett Hull about my pizzeria, you know, and it's like I'm sitting there asking him how the hell did you score 700 goals, and he's asking me how I made a pizza. You know, <laughs> so it was it was surreal. It really was. That's awesome. So you shared some stories about uh, Hall of Famer Mark Howe uh, helping you out shoveling uh, three hours on the roof on your pizzeria and fixing a bunch of things. Do you know how Mark developed his handyman skills? You know what? I, I don't know. All I know is he can fix anything. It's amazing. He just, he, like, he's fixed my pizza oven. He's, like I said, shoveled snow off the roof. He's, if something breaks, he knows how to fix it. He's just very, you know, I call him Bob Vila, you know, the, the handyman guy. Yeah. He, he's. You, 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 he can get things paid for, but but no, he has to do it himself. He's very handy. He's, super, he's one of them guys that, that just a natural that way, I guess. I don't understand half the shit he does, but he gets it done. Like, I had a problem with the with the oven, the, the handle on my oven. I mean, it's 600 degrees, and, you know, and he fixed it. You know, I got guys coming there trying to weld it, and they couldn't do it. And he got a thing out and welded it shut and got it open and fixed it. I mean, just he fixes everything. The guy's amazing. Yeah, that's freaking impressive, you know, and, like, maybe he learned some uh, lessons like that from his dad because uh, when you were telling us that funny uh, bathroom story, uh, it didn't sound like Gordy uh, minded getting his hands dirty himself. No, and, you know, when, when his brother Marty came and did, uh, they, I had my basement done, uh, finished, and uh, and Marty was doing construction at the time. Mark came and said, all right, I'll help him. They wound up doing it in like two weeks or whatever, three weeks, and and he wouldn't take a penny from me, which was awesome. And, but it, I'm watching him, and I'm like, where the hell did you learn how to do all this stuff, you know, cut sheetrock and, and, and measure stuff out? And he's like, I don't know. He's very, you know, he doesn't brag about himself. But I'm, I'm positive he could build a house if he had to. The guy's yeah. unbelievable. So, uh, Dom, you told me about the, the two cups in Detroit. Um, I know we're jumping back and forth, but uh, can you explain to me how you managed to get the Stanley Cup at your pizzeria? Back in, I think, 2004, 2005, the NHL had a, went on strike. Tampa Bay had won the Cup, and ESPN did a show like where the Cup is now or whatever it was. And one of the guys, one of the producers or whatever, um, lives behind 
my pizzeria. And I'm, his kid worked for me, and I became friends with him. His name is Ken Rosen, and a great guy. And he actually just wrote a, he just wrote a book, too, that just came out about the 1919 uh, the epidemic, the Spanish flu, when they canceled the Stanley Cup. Great read if you ever get a chance to read it. But anyway, he was telling me, we were talking, I was like, oh, did you ever meet this guy? Did you ever meet that guy? And he said, yeah, I meet these guys all the time. I said, wow. I said, that's cool. He goes, matter of fact, we're doing a show in a couple of weeks on the Stanley Cup. And uh, we're going to bring it down to Long Beach Island. He said, Long Beach Island? Why are you bringing the cup down to the island? He said, well, instead of flying to Florida or something, they're, they're going to do a show and put it on the beach and make believe that's in Tampa or whatever. Mm-hmm. I said, could you, could you let me know, man? I said, I would love to. I said, I, I drank out of it, but I would love to see it, you know, again, you know? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. A couple of weeks go by, and uh, I'm, I'm at the pizzeria, and I get a phone call, and it's Kenny. He goes, what are you doing? I said, nothing. I said, I'm working. He goes, oh, he goes, uh, we got the cup down here. He says, oh, I said, cool. I said, where are you? He goes, well, let me call you back in a few minutes. I wanted to make sure you were at work. I'm like, okay, I don't think nothing of it. A few minutes later, on the side of my pizzeria, I look, and up comes these two guys with gloves on them holding this big box. And I see Kenny, and I'm like, get the fuck out of here. And he walks in the pizzeria. Now, this is in September. So my season basically is uh, June, July, August when it's really busy. Then September's okay, but it starts dying down, you know? Mm-hmm. So he walks into the pizzeria. There's a couple of people in there, and he's got the box, and they open the box, and there's Stanley Cups in my pizzeria. And I'm like, holy shit. I can't believe I have the Stanley Cup in my pizzeria. And they take it. They take the cup out, and, I, you know, I put a pizza on, and I take all these pictures. Um Mark had just walked in, so we go outside, we take a picture of me and Mark holding the cup up in front of the slice of heaven, and me and my wife do the same thing. I have to send you them pictures. They're really cool. So I had the, the P3. It was in there for about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And within that 15, 20 minutes, now I told you, there's like the island is, is pretty much nobody on at that time of the year. It's, it's winding down. The store had a line out the door. One person called one person, another person called another person. When we went outside with the cup, people were slamming on their brakes, pulling over, coming. <laughs> it was like a summer day in the, in the middle of, uh, of the fall, you know? So, yeah, so he got the cup in the storm. Everybody was taking pictures, and, and it was awesome. And a lot of people uh, motherfucked me because I can't believe you didn't call me up. I was like, I didn't even know it was coming. I didn't know he was going to do that. He, was, he surprised me. He's got yeah. a great time, you know? I said he surprised me. I didn't. I didn't know, you know, that that, that he was gonna, you know, do that. But uh, that's how I got the cup in the store. I, I I was like, again, you know, like a kid from Brooklyn, from Staten Island, and I got the Stanley Cup in my store. I mean, what? And and the Stanley Cup. I don't care what sport you like, is the most iconic trophy. You it's know beautiful. I mean? it's not yeah. Like, yeah, but it's not like. You know, people win the, the Super Bowl, you get the Lombardi Trophy, but it's not like, oh, my God, it's the Lombardi Trophy. Half the people wouldn't know what basketball or baseball trophies are. You know, yeah. everybody, whether you're a hockey fan or not, everybody knows what the Stanley Cup is. And to happen yeah. in my store, I was, like, amazed. Quick question for you, Dov. So yeah. you you look like a pretty strong fella. Have you held it over your head? Yeah. Well, so I'm going to show you the pictures. Yeah, and it weighs about a pound and a half. No. <laughs> It's and, about 35 pounds, I think, or 40 pounds. But you, you, your adrenaline is pumping so much that you don't even 
it, it's nothing. It's amazing. It's just like it's it's got a life of its own. Like you think about how many great people are on that, you know. And I know they yeah. change the rings every every bunch of years. Yeah, they have to put different rings on it. But think of all the great people that touch that cup and hockey royalty, you know. And and think of all the people from from queens uh, and kings and presidents and the people that have touched. It's an amazing. Amazing trophy, you know, and that's I mean, amazing. I don't know many people that that have had it a days. They give the cup to guys for a couple of days, and they they you know guys do the right thing. But you know, especially back then, that was unheard of, you know. And like I said, you know, Long Beach Island to have a Stanley Cup. It wasn't like the Devils one or the Rangers one or the Islanders or the Flyers. You know what I mean? It, 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 so it was more more far fetched than anything of me getting it there. Like. You know, people like, is that real? I'm like, yeah, it's fucking real. What do you think? You know, and and it's funny because the guy, it's the same guy too. Who, one of the guys who brought it in is the guy that always has them white gloves on. You know, mm-hmm. he, uh, he touches it with the gloves, and everybody's there kissing it, drinking out of it, smooching out of it. You know, <laughs> funny. You were telling me the story. They were basically pouring it on your head almost when you were drinking out of it. Like, how many guys does it take to drink out of it? Like, obviously, it's not a glass, right? So did it take about, like, three guys to drink out of it? Well, you know what? It was on a table, and I went to drink out of it, but I was so – I was scared, you know? I mean, you know, I was overwhelmed. I'm like, I I, I, I was just on the ice. I'm I'm in the locker room. I'm, I'm, I'm next to the Stanley Cup. I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. And so I tilted it over to drink some champagne out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it was Chris Draper, and he's like, "No, no, that's not how you do it." And he lifted it up, and pushed my head back, and like spilled half of it on me, which was awesome, you know. Yeah, that's how. And then he goes here, and he goes, "Hold it!" And I did, and I was, I was like, I was afraid to hold it. I was like, "Oh my god, if I drop this, they'll kill me," you know. <laughs> but, but I did, and it was. I got some pictures of that too. I gotta send you. I know you're a big Rangers fan, but you must have quite the soft spot for the Red Wings, right? Uh, my second favorite team, and and I was always afraid, even though I wanted, but I was always afraid that they would meet in the Cup. But they can't now because they're both on the same side, yeah. In conferences, you know. But all them years, it's like but the Rangers sucked when the Red Wings were good. Yeah. But I was like, wow, if they go to the Cup, I was like, I know Mark will get me in, you know. But yeah. And now you talk about that would be bittersweet, you know, watching. If, if the Rangers win the cup, I'm happy. But if the Red Wings win the cup, I get to drink out of the cup and be with the cup again. So what do I want to do? But thank God I never had to worry about that. Yeah, no kidding. You know, it's, 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 it's like I said, it's just amazing. Some of the stuff that's happened to me in hockey is just absolutely, it's it's insane. I couldn't have wrote a book if I wanted to and, and made this stuff up. We kind of talked a little bit about Nick Fatiu's story when he tackled you. Can you uh, go uh, and elaborate a little bit uh, on the alumni game that you went to? So, you know, I went to the game and I sat in the stands with Mark's family and Mark actually scored a, they gave him a penalty shot. He scored on a penalty shot, which I don't know if I had told you before, but I was happy but pissed off at the same time because he scored against the Rangers. But, hey, it's an old-timers game, you know. But um, after the game. Pretty nice goal, too. I went to go look at it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. After the game, and I thought I was getting the puck, but he gave it to his granddaughter, so I, I gave him a pass for that. But that's okay. <laughs> no. Uh, after the game, we went back to the hotel, and uh, um, 
he went upstairs and said, go to the bar. And that's when I went to the bar and, and Nick Rapil tackled me, blindsided me because they set the whole thing up, you know? Yeah, and, of course. Uh, um, actually, before we got to the bar, we went to a, a party. We went to a, a Flyers party. Uh, okay. You know, um, and, got, and I got to meet, you know, all the Bobby Clark and Lindros and, you know, everybody I grew up hating. They, they, they were really nice to me. And Mark would say, this is my friend Dom. He's a Ranger fan. And then they would give me shit for it. But they, they were cool. You know, they really were. And that was cool. So, but after that, we went back to the hotel and, and I didn't think nothing of it. You know, I thought we were just going to go to the bar and get a beer or something, you know, and I walked in and Nikki tackled me and got up. I was like, holy shit. And, you know, Ron Greshner was there and Dave Maloney and we're all sitting at a table and I'm like, how cool is this? And this was New Year's Eve, you know, and, and got to celebrate midnight with them, open champagne up and, you know, all the players were coming in that, that played in the game, you know. Uh, you, you had Mark Messier there too, eh? Well, what happened was uh, about 1, one thirty, Nicky left, and I think Greshner was leaving, and I said goodbye, and Nicky gave me his, his pass, they, you know, his thing you put around you to get in the stadium, which I thought was cool, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and we exchanged phone numbers and all that other stuff, and, and um, I met his girlfriend, and, you know, really nice and all that. And uh, yep. he left, and Mark's like, all right, we'll, you know, we'll finish up the beers, and you know, we'll go, we'll get going. I'm like, okay, it was like one thirty, you know, and I was tired anyway. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, again, like I said, this is how fucked up my life in hockey has been. Like fucked up, good. Uh, Mike Richter, Adam Graves, Brian Leach, and the last one walks in is Messier. I was like stunned. Like I love first three guys, Leach, Graves, and Richter. But Messier is like, he's the Messiah. He's got me the Stanley Cup, even though they all had a part in it. You know what I mean? To me, he's the captain of all captains. Without a doubt. So so he walks in, and Mark runs over to him. He's like, mess, mess. And, and he's like, listen, because you got to come over. you, you got to meet my buddy. He thinks you're the greatest guy in the whole world. Da, 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 da. And Mess walks over and he sticks his hands out and he goes, how you doing? And I was like, uh, 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 you're my biggest fan. I don't even remember. I was so shocked yeah. that I was standing next to Mark Messi at that. And the whole night, we were there till four, I mean, we were there till 6.30 in the morning. So we were there like almost four hours with them. I couldn't talk to Messi yet. Brian Leach was awesome. Graves was awesome. Richter was great and talked to Leach most of the night. He was awesome. But I couldn't say three words to Messier. I was just like like a little 12-year-old kid. I mean, just, I was tongue-tied. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I'm standing next to somebody that, to me, is the greatest thing in the whole world. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's the Messiah. He's the hockey Messiah, whatever you want to say. That guy won cups without Gretzky. Yeah, yeah. He won two cups without Gretzky. That's what I'm saying. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, he was really nice, but to be honest with you, I just, I, I was just in a fog. I, I just couldn't, which sucks, because there's so many things I want to ask him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But Too bad he didn't have a bag of lace just with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad. I didn't, I just <laughs> I, I just wish, I, I don't know. Like, I always say I'm gonna, I want to run into him again, and I run into Richter, you know, and, and he was, he, he was, 
Charles. He, he's always nice to me, and, and but I've never run into Messier since, and I want to. But it's great when you run into people with Mark because it just gives you credibility instead of being Joe fan off the street. You know what I'm saying? He, he you know, uh, and it's funny. I I had met Messier technically uh, maybe like ten years, twelve years earlier. Me and Mark were at a game and went to the Red Wing locker room. And, and we're by the Ranger locker room. And I said, come on, man, see if we can meet Mesh. So we go into the Ranger locker room, and there's a bunch of players in there. And I asked Adam Graves, I'm like, where's Mesh? He said, oh, he just left. He went down the hall. So me and Mark are running down the hall. We make a long turn. We go down this other hall. And we get to the elevator. Messi is on the elevator. And, and Mark goes, hey, Mesh. And Mesh goes, hey, Mark. And the door closes. I'm like, fuck, I'm never going to meet this fucking guy. Well, I, I wound up meeting him. And, and just, like I said, I wish I could go back because I would have so many questions to ask him. And, and, but I was just, like I said, I was like a little 12-year-old kid. Like, oh, my God. Uh, I just met hockey royalty. And I met so many guys. But meeting him definitely, definitely stunned me. Meeting him and Gordy stunned me. But you know, it was amazing. You know, it was crazy. And uh, we're actually gonna, uh, if you don't mind, talk about a current uh, hockey uh, time that we're, we're together, and uh, you know, uh, talk about the differences between uh, the new goalie that you guys have right now and uh, and Richter. So, uh, are you cool with joining me again? I will join you anytime you want, but I don't know if you're gonna like what I have to say about uh, about today's goalies. But that's besides the point. Yep, I w- I would love to. That's all right. But uh, anyway, thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, let's have another good episode next time. Sounds good, Bobby. Thank you. All right. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Un domingo se appare una festa, passo rudo barrile aganista, tu m'arriva una giorni straniera che se vede cucito cucito. Carolina se scippo currosa, che l'entista ma che sta gelosa, con un guapo che ha ingannato i cuore, stitta solo sopra una mutina.